Light a campfire, and everyone's a storyteller. Join us for some thought-provoking and beyond fireside chats. Hello and welcome to Leave Our World a Better Place. My name is Kasha and my guest today is Jessica Getty. In the second of a two-part interview with one of End Beyond's shareholder families, Jessica will be chatting to us about how she first became involved with the company and how her love for Africa grew to the point where it became the base for her family home. Jessica, how and where did your experience with End Beyond and with Pinda begin? So it really began with a whirlwind tour with Tara in 1995 and I had no experience in Africa no no previous travel experience in Africa at all he was super excited to show me the lodges and the beginnings of Ambiond or Conservation Corporation Africa as it was back then and a few months later I then came to work at Forest Lodge in the kitchen and Forest Lodge was relatively new so this is early 1996 February 96 and so I went from zero experience and exposure to the African bush to driving from Joburg to Forest Lodge downing rescue remedy wondering what I had actually signed up to it was really easy to do in England, age 25, sure, I'll, yeah, great, I'll do that. And then there I was, Forest Lodge, kitchen, and it was a really deep immersion in terms of living in the bush, learning about the bush, and really living alongside a whole different culture, a new culture. But because of the nature of the job that I was doing, I was with a team, and we had to be cohesive. We just had to get on. We had to understand each other. We had to make stuff happen. And being in the kitchen is quite high pressure. And there's there's no let up. There's no, oh, we'll pull back today. There are 40 guests and there are adventures. In those days, we were packing for beach trips and black rhino trail picnics and all sorts of things. So it was full on, in deep, full immersion. And With that, I had to very quickly become a people manager of sorts. It wasn't just about producing food. And with a team of, I guess we were nearly 20, I found that I was forming relationships with kitchen staff from all walks. And we were dealing with all sorts of situations that might be family situations or domestic situations or reasons why they needed to go to the clinic or reasons why they were in a very strange mood. And and I, being English, might have asked directly what's wrong. And in Zulu, you don't necessarily get a direct response back. So I had to, it's just an example really of learning on the job, how to bridge cultural differences, deep cultural differences. But with all of us working towards the same endeavor, which was to produce from our kitchen department. And I loved it because I loved, strangely loved the challenge, strangely loved the madness of our situation, the humor that I could somehow linguistically pick up 
what was being said in Zulu. And we would have hilarious moments when there might be some some comments having a little fly around the kitchen and I'd pick up immediately what it was and, you know, throw, throw it back at them. And they loved it. They loved that we somehow were able to have a bond, a really good bond. So for me, that's where it, it really was this deep immersion that it was very much a sink or swim situation. I was age 25 and so unknowing, so unknowledgeable about my geographical location and then the day-to-day living in the bush. So in the kitchen, I could feel quite confident about what I had to do. Running a team who were much less experienced, much less exposed to the food that we were trying to produce. But I loved the bond that we had. I loved the relationship that we that we were able to form. And with that, that gave me quite a learning of where everybody's home was, where they were coming from, the challenges that existed. Some of the ladies would be pregnant and working till their due date, or AIDS and HIV was relatively untouched in terms of education, in terms of it being a a subject that could be talked about, that could be workshopped or counselled or looking back that was really significant actually it was quite taboo it was it was new territory that we were trying to broker and broach and communicate and bring into conversation so those things not that it was my place to have intimate knowledge about anybody's status or anything like that but just collectively these were issues that were on the table that were part and parcel of everyday life running concurrently alongside producing food for international guests so I think for me that certainly paved a way for an interest uh, furthering an interest in the human side of the company and understanding that we are employing people in the lodges from these remote areas where they have not had exposure to education or to training for the jobs that they're doing other than the training that they're getting in the lodges through having to operate and to deliver for guests. And that these areas, when you drive out, at that time had so little in terms of infrastructure, schools, clinics, connectivity. And yet when they came to work, they were expected to deliver high end, whether they were trackers or housekeepers or chefs in the kitchen, waiters, waitresses. And that really fascinated me and I think really grabbed my attention as well as being immersed in the ecological and geographical location. It came at me from all sides. And that Tara wasn't necessarily there every day because he was off developing lodges and and with Dave and pegging out sites in in (laughs) Zimbabwe and East Africa. So it was literally, I've parachuted in and this is my world now. 
I suppose that's a lot of memories to convey, but that's that's what it really felt like for those that first year that I was there in, at Forest Lodge in 1996. Some of what I've heard you speak about was obviously your introduction to that part of the End Beyond model that speaks to care of the people, and that is covered by our partnership with Africa Foundation. This is very clearly something that is close to your heart. Can you talk about how you've seen both that element of the model and the people that you have come into contact with at Pinder grow and evolve over the 30 years that you have been involved? Over the last 30 years, we have built our home, established Zuka, bordering Pinda, so thereby we have employed people who we have, I suppose, developed similarly to the, the start of the journey at, at, at Forest Lodge. And in fact, years ago, probably in about 1997, I can remember having a meeting with Tony Adams, who was managing Forest Lodge at the time. And I said, Tony, this is this model, this is crazy. I can't develop 20 chefs at a time. I can do one at a time. And my dream is one at a time <laughs> to really be able to invest in somebody and teach whatever I can teach. So actually that little dream idea, I am able to fulfill that now. It has been fulfilled. And we've had chefs who have spent time with us here years and I'm able to invest on a one-on-one -on -one level. And they have either moved on to bigger and better things, which we can be a little bit selfishly sad about, but actually there's a little part of me inwardly that's thinking, yes, that's what it's meant to be. Mm. So we have a team here who have been incredibly committed, who are, it might sound condescending to say, world-class, but I mean, they, they are the most amazing team. And so on a Zuka level, personal level, that's been amazing to actually have our relationships that we have with our team here at Zuka and develop every individual. And selfishly, I would love them not to go anywhere because they are all amazing. However, if they wanted to go, then I know we've done a really great job. They've done the work, but we've perhaps facilitated it, enabled it through Zuka for them to come and learn and grow and go onwards. There's that aspect. There's also, we've had a fundraising journey as well, which I suppose in my 30s was, I had a lot of energy for creating Art for Africa and uh, in London and then having a, a hand in reproducing that in New York, which were the art auctions with Sotheby's doing the cricket matches at Wormsley with De Beers for a few years in a, in a row. So fundraising is obviously quite a remote thing from being on the ground. But there's something quite exciting about being the conduit from what's actually happening on the ground with Zuka, with Pinda, with and beyond, with Africa Foundation and feeling that we can be advocates and, and ambassadors, and that might sound a bit grand, actually more really being the conduits of the magic and the, the operation and actually what's happening on the ground, knowing it intimately and being able to be a conduit to someone else remotely with that. I would say that was probably about sort of about 10 years of energy and focus there for Africa Foundation. And of course, the dynamics of fundraising and what's really necessary. That's changed to a degree. I think where it's really developed for us now is having relationships with individuals 
who are fascinated to see or understand that we've had a relationship. We have this 30-year relationship with and beyond, with Africa Foundation, that we have a home here, that we have a, a, a real vested interest. And they're wondering, why? What? <laughs> Where? Mm-hmm. So being able to have, I suppose, that sort of advocacy and be in a position to, to, to advocate to individuals who are perhaps at a stage in their life where they also would like to really be able to offer something, perhaps financially through Africa Foundation, to see a school built, to connect their family, to expose their children to life here and how other people's lives can be improved. That's, I would say, in recent years become perhaps more the genre of our fundraising. And then, of course, there's, I suppose, our own personal donations, whereby we have the great privilege to say, okay, what do we feel like doing? What's on the menu? What's needed? We can fund it. You tell us what's really asking and needing. This year, there was the opening of the secondary school in Tanzania. And I'm always a bit shy to say the Tarakiti secondary school, because that's what they wanted to call it. We were coming up, trying to come up with some names, and they insisted that's what they wanted to call it, which is really, really lovely. So the Tarakiti secondary school, that's amazing. We haven't, we haven't seen it. And that's really exciting for us to have that on the horizon, that we're going to be pulled from perhaps where we know and and love the most intimately to be able to go to Tanzania and just see Africa Foundation at work at its best in a whole new community. And knowing that there are those 99 students there that now are not walking 13 kilometers to school, they're not being inhibited or stopped by a seasonal flood or river, knowing that they have school just a a few kilometers away. It's just, it's extraordinary, the power of Africa Foundation. And for us to know that we can help facilitate that, aid it, there's no great effort on on our part. But knowing that the, the power of what we can do is to donate and Africa Foundation is able to deploy and make it happen. That's amazing. And it's all there. It's all functioning. It's all running. And we're just dying to get there to to go and see it. So in a way, COVID has created a a different dynamic because it's almost a a slightly old-fashioned dynamic whereby we've donated to a project that's now up and running. It's launched. But as in years gone by, many people wouldn't ever be able to have contact, direct contact with a, a project or, or perhaps to the end destination of their funding. And so we're in that similar situation now because of COVID. That is the beauty of Africa Foundation being the size it is and certainly the connection that we do, that we can connect with the end destination of our funding and we can go and see it in action. You've told us a bit about your introduction to Africa and beyond an Africa Foundation. What about your introduction to Tara? Where did the two of you meet and how did you come to start on this journey that ultimately led to you setting up a home in Africa? 1992, Switzerland. And we were introduced through a mutual friend who actually, I have to say, was the great encouragement behind me 
following Tara out to Africa in 1996, which is then when I first started working at Forest Lodge. So I have to give it to her. She not only introduced us, but is a great lover of Africa and said that I have to come. And it really wasn't on my agenda at all. I can't even remember what my agenda was, but it, it definitely wasn't, oh, I want to travel around Africa and settle there, bring up our children there. No, not at all. It really was 1996 and working at Forest Lodge and, and that immersion that really, I suppose, that that was the, the bug, as, as everybody calls it. And actually, I, I can remember saying back then and thinking back then, and it's still the same now, it really was the human element that grabbed me. And I can say that in a completely whole, whole way. Not one particular person, but just the overall, the human spirit, the warmth, just, I don't know, the whole human dynamic here really grabbed me. And Dave was doing a, a road show in 1996, and I can remember sitting at Forest Lodge, all the staff, and Dave came to give a, a speech and to rally everybody's interest in where CC Africa was going. And I was just completely spellbound. I mean, starry-eyed and spellbound. I grew up on a farm in England. So in many ways, for me to be in the bush and rural, that was not an extreme change of environment for me. The African bush, for sure, very, very different. You know, walking back to my room late at night after finishing in the kitchen and pinning myself against a, somebody's staff room wall because there's a leopard barking and I've forgotten my torch and I can't see where I'm going and I know I shouldn't be doing this and thinking, this is really not what I'm meant to be doing at all. I'm in completely the wrong place. But actually, all of those experiences all layered up. And so the time came when we were able to, we had to make a decision as to where we were going to go and what we were going to do. And I can remember being on the Sudwana Bay Road, the now wonderfully deproclaimed Sudwana Bay Road. But at that point, there were fences between Penda and Zuka, and that was still a, a public road. I can remember, and I can remember exactly where we were and the view, and just came blurting out with it. We're not leaving. We're not leaving. And I think Tara... Not that that necessarily would have ever swayed Tara. Tara has always had his long-term vision. He has long-term visions and he knows where he's going. And I kind of do all the micro-managing to help get us there. But he really, he knew already this is where he felt quite committed to for all sorts of reasons. The landscape, the ecology, the proximity to the ocean, and because he is and always has been a great supporter of the underdog. And I can say that Pinder probably was, in the context of life back then, Pinder probably was the underdog. It was very unproven. It was. It still had such a long way to go. It wasn't established Londolozi and pretty and perfect Singita. It was a really tricky, undefined monster without any guaranteed outcomes at all. 
And Tara has always been a great advocate. He's always gone left if everybody else has gone right. So somehow we both had some conviction. <laughs> I don't know what we were convinced mm, about, but we definitely imagine. just had a fairly aligned conviction that here is where we wanted to be more, do more. So that's really kind of when it started. Ninety-seven, we built our first bush house, and then we were married in 1998. So we were quite committed, I guess, to each other and to here before we got married. And then Orlando, our eldest, was born in 2001, and that's when we we became a little bit more committed to South Africa in general and bought our house in Cape Town. And from there, two more children, all the children went to school in Cape Town, Every holiday and every moment we could get was spent here in the bush. And we really felt a desire to layer up their lives in the bush as much as we could. So we didn't necessarily spend every holiday jumping on a plane to go back to Europe. It was really here. We just knew that all other life experiences, whatever they might be, they'll come their way and they'll choose them if they want to. Mm, hopefully so. Jessica, in addition to your love for the bush, you also have a passion for the ocean. And you and Tara have contributed substantially towards marine conservation. Please, can you talk a little bit about that? So alongside our life in the bush, we do have life on the ocean as well. And again, that is my husband just leading the way. It's been a lifelong commitment of his great passion. He grew up on the sea so sailing has been a big part of his life. I don't know that it goes hand in hand with life in the bush, but it does go hand in hand with life here at Pinder. So in fact, we do spend quite a bit of time going to Lake Sabaya, going to the Indian Ocean coast here. And so somehow it, it, it overlaps. In 2018, with three other families who are all friends, we decided through a very... I suppose, a casual conversation, but a conversation we kept returning to, that we really would love to be able to donate to programs and projects that are marine conservation orientated. And we would really like to be able to connect with the end destination of our funding and not just see our funds going into an abyss somewhere. So we formed Ocean Family Foundation, which really just came about through these conversations of wanting to contribute, wanting to have a direct connection, have a little bit more control over perhaps where we put our funds, and also to enjoy the idea of being able to cherry-pick existing projects or programmes or new underfunded programmes and ocean-orientated charities, to be able to cherry-pick those ourselves in areas that we are geographically connected to. So it's the four families we have. We're, we're quite dispersed around the world, and but we, we come together through sailing and through the ocean. And to be able to choose projects or charities that needed funding that we perhaps are, are geographically connected to or just have some resonance. And we wanted to involve our children, our children all rapidly growing up, uh, most of them now in their teens and 20s. So wanting to include them, they really are not necessarily the next generation, they are the generation and they are going to be 
the future custodians. Our time is probably running out. So we felt it really important to be able to do something as four complete families. So with that, Ocean Family Foundation was born in 2018. And timing-wise, that really came in tandem with Joss's idea to have an ocean-orientated programme, which came off the back of Rhinos Without Borders being Rhinos Without Borders being a shared partnership program. And Joss had this great idea to Oceans Without Borders to be a freestanding program that is implemented by and beyond and Africa Foundation. And so for us it made total sense. It was just a dream dream project to be able to donate the seed funding to. Certainly for us, being able to to really put our focus into two specific foundations, one land-orientated, one ocean-orientated, and yet both a great mirror of each other in terms of each program having specific projects underneath them, within them, community development, wilderness protection and uh, wildlife, to have those three aspects of land, wildlife and humanity or ocean wildlife and humanity, it just was for us perfect to have a mirror image of land-based and and, and ocean-based. Fantastic. Shifting the focus from looking back to looking forward, what is your hope going ahead? How would you like to see Envion's vision of leaving the world a better place being developed over the next 30 years? I think going forward, I would love to see what I think we're on the cusp of now, which is different narrative. The old narrative being that we are offering opportunities through conservation with community development rather than offering opportunities, seeing that next generation come through. So I guess 30 years ago, building nursery schools and being involved in education from primary through to tertiary, I think what we're on the cusp of now, we are seeing the beneficiaries, for want of a better word, of those initial programs and the the birth of and beyond an Africa Foundation going hand in hand, that partnership, we're now seeing the next generation. They are educated. They are part of this now. They're not necessarily needing the same opportunities that that were required 30 years ago. So I think I'm most excited to see what they are going to be bringing to the next 30 years. For example, the the two students who will be doing their postgrads at ALU in the African Leadership uh, University in Rwanda, it's so exciting to think they are going to be so well qualified, qualified in every possible way beyond anything that we have that we could have brought to this area. We might have been the first layer, perhaps with financial capacity to enable what we see today, they're going to bring something completely different through this is their home. They have been educated. They're being educated at a world-class university. They're going to bring things that we haven't even thought of yet. 
So I'll be sitting in my chair. <laughs> Fascinated, you know, what they're going to, to bring. And equally, just the expansion of what Dave termed and, and coined green frontiers, that is becoming more and more possible through such sophisticated partnerships. And I think because of the evidence of success that Pinder has created, that we have hopefully replicated and we are taking forwards through Zuka with independent property ownership wanting to come in to the model. I think that there are real possibilities now for greater collective thinking to open up green boundaries and there'll be less of that this is my land and this is how it needs to, to operate. I really think collectively the evidence is there that this can really work with m multiple partnerships and, and, and stakeholders. So that's exciting to think that fences really will come down and that it's just a better understanding of the importance of it all. Mm, hopefully so. Jessica, thank you for joining us today and sharing some of your family's memories with us. We wish you all the best with growing your vision for the future. Thank you for listening to Leave Our World a Better Place. Don't forget to subscribe to make sure that you never miss an episode. If you'd like to find out more about and beyond, please log on to our website at andbeyond.com.